good. I got into it. It's sort of grooving now. Hey. Uh, uh, welcome back, everybody. Really appreciate you coming to join and learn with us again today. Uh, as usual, Sandy McKay is here with me. Hey, yeah, Rob, super excited to be here, and uh, we got some great guests lined up, so we're going to have a phenomenal show ahead. I'm uh, excited to talk about this topic in particular because it's a good, good hot one for uh, for a lot of people buying, and uh, especially in the bigger markets. Uh, we're going to talk a little about multifamily today, so looking forward to that. Awesome. Yes, me too. Uh, and before we get into that, though, everybody should go over to our website, BreakthroughREIPodcast.ca download our free gift and uh, just like get in touch with all of our past guests. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm just getting over like a little bit of a cough. I haven't like, I wasn't really sick. I didn't feel bad. It's just like all right in, all right in my throat. It's kind of annoying, but working uh, too hard, working on the pool, working on the pool too hard. <laughs> What's that? Working <laughs> on your pool uh, too hard. Yeah. Something <laughs> like that. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, and, and the free gift, right? Sorry, I got lost there for a second. So we got that free gift. What are, well, what are people going to get when they sign up for that free gift, Sandy? Well, they get the ultimate strategy for building wealth through real estate. Uh, of course, they'll find uh, that in their inbox when they go do that. But beyond that, and more importantly, is they get connected with us on, on a deeper level and they get to hear about all the um, uh, tours, uh, seminars, whatever the heck we're doing, uh, new episodes, uh, trips that seem to happen now almost yearly. Am I right, Rob? Down to Costa Rica and then other various places that we're running things like that. So yeah, definitely they want to go subscribe and not miss out on everything we got going on. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, speaking of the uh, investor, but like you said, right, they're going to be able to learn about any tours that we have. I don't know if you're running tours. Uh, if you're not, you should, but uh, we're running them in Peterborough still. <clears throat> um so contact me about those and you can learn about, uh, you know, converting single family homes into duplexes legally, converting uh, single family homes into legal student rentals in Peterborough. So we're doing those once a month, you know, and also we do have that Costa Rica 2023 investor event coming up November 24th, 25th, 26th this year. Uh, it's, it's flying up fast. We still have a few spots. I do have some people signed up. And uh, we've got some of the, not the properties, obviously, lined up yet, but some of the activities. So the uh, uh, hotel rooms are all booked. So, you know, it's going down again this year. So if you're interested, come down, we go see properties, we network, we talk to uh, specialists in the industry down here, and, uh, and we go out and have a lot of fun. We do case studies of all the properties that we run through too. So it's going to be good. It's going to be good nice. again this year. So get in touch with me. Uh, I don't know. Rob at mrbreakthrough.ca. Um, Sandy, what do you do? You have something coming up? Well, we're uh, what are we working on? Um, we're definitely uh, doing our Bond Investors Club, which people should come check out. Uh, I know uh, Mark and I were hanging out there a couple weeks back. Uh, yeah. uh, Mark, okay. I haven't even introduced our guests yet, but yeah, Mark Belts uh, are coming up soon. And Mike Rockle coming coming up soon. Hang tight, guys. Um, but we were hanging out there a couple of weeks ago at a great event, and uh, this seems to be growing and uh, and getting a lot of great uh, connections built there. So, if you're someone who's in and around the Greater Toronto area, that's an easily accessible club to come hang out with uh, month to month. Um, so our next, actually, our next event would be just after this uh, episode's launching. So I think we'll be on September 20th. 
Wednesday evening and they can, uh, they can go to voninvestorsclub.com and pick up all the information uh, around the club and, and what to expect and, and all the dates for the events upcoming. The calendar's on there? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, go over there and get that. Uh, is it like what the third? Is it like the third? Usually the third Wednesday of every month. Wednesday. Uh, and um, there's a small fee. Uh, you can join as a member and, uh, and get access to everything. And, uh, and we'll do some tours and stuff in the near future. But, um, you know, the best part is just seeing people connect and build their power team in this in this great uh, field of real estate. Because that's that's where Rob and I met. That's where you and I first first got connected. And so it's, uh, you know, you never know what connection can turn into a, well, like 10-year relationship uh, and, uh, and podcast or who the heck knows what it flourishes into. Yeah, for, for us is what you were alluding to, though. It got us talking to, I don't know, countless, I don't even know what episode we're on, though, but countless people here, like, helping us learn. Uh, and then we just decided to share that with everybody. So it's been fantastic. <clears throat> and today yeah. is no different. Definitely. Let's bring in the guests. We got, uh, Mike Rockle, Mark Baltasar here from Peak Family, Peak Multifamily, I should say. And uh, they are uh, second-time guests, actually. Um, I don't have the episode number from before, but uh, you can go back and check out their episode. I think it's a couple years back now. And, uh, of course, they're on Peak Multifamily Investments, which is a real estate investment management firm specializing in building multi, sorry, in building generational wealth through apartment buildings. And uh, they, of course, acquire underperforming performing apartment buildings and systematically redevelop them into strong returns for, uh, of course, themselves, but mainly their partners. And so they've been doing that since, uh, in some way, shape or form, since 2012 and manage a, uh, an awesome portfolio across Southern Ontario. I think just Southern Ontario for now, right, guys? Yeah. Yeah. Well, why don't you share with us a little bit about the backstory on, uh, on what you guys have been doing in that space and how it's evolved to where it is today. I think you're at over 40, 40 plus million in uh, holdings there. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe Mike, you want to you want to start because you you bought you bought buildings first, and then uh, then we we collaborated, uh, and then kind of we're here where we are today. Yeah. So so my background actually goes back to 2010 when I purchased my first triplex. Um, kind of got addicted, so kept kept on that path. Was working uh, as a full time plumber. Uh, built a portfolio up of about 40 42 units. Uh, in that kind of size range, duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes. Uh, and then in 2014, uh, I started to struggle a little bit with mortgages and whatnot. So decided to level up into uh, apartment buildings. So purchased my first 12 unit apartment building in 2014, uh, was still working full time uh, at that point. A um, couple of years later, decided to get my realtor license, left the plumbing career, uh, and then kind of joined up with, with Mark. I believe it was on a, on a, flip uh, a house that we tried to flip that turned into a build um, wasn't my expertise but I knew Mark was flipping homes with a with a mutual friend at the time uh, and then in 2018 we decided to partner up on on buying an apartment building and then you know from 2018 now the last five years that's where we've been full-fledged in, in buying apartment buildings and then from the agent side as well that's where, you know, 95 plus percent of my businesses come from the multifamily sector and helping, you know, other, other guys buy apartment buildings. Very good. I appreciate you sharing that. 
And uh, I just want to say I didn't I didn't uh, say welcome to the show yet. So thanks a lot for being here, guys. Um, and Mark, what about you? What was your give us a little bit of a up to speed and and yeah. right up to where Mike ended, and then we'll then we'll dive into what you guys have been doing together. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Just by way of background, I mean, I came from the world of management consulting, and uh, you know, co- cool business. I was a partner in a firm, and then just it was there was a lot, you know. A lot of travel, a lot of time away from family and such, and real estate kind of seemed to be the path I was going to go down eventually. And uh, then Mike and I collaborated. So, um, I mean, we started. So as we started to build the multifamily portfolio, we started with you know acquiring ourselves essentially a mutual friend as a partner. Um, during uh, during my flipping, I guess phase, um, I started off with a with a a partner that would. You know, an active partner, and so we would fund our deals ourselves, uh, and then we started attracting, you know, passive investors who kind of, you know, family and friends. Hey, guys, you know, you guys are doing stuff like that. If I have money, you know, need to put to work, and so that was kind of the first time that I had realized that okay, you can use other other people's money, uh, you know, in real estate. Um, fast forward to multifamily. You know, while Mike and I do have buildings on our own, the majority of the portfolio is with you know, passive investors. So people that are looking to, you know, get exposure to multifamily, the asset class, all the dynamics that come with it. Most of them are professionals. They have their own careers. They have other stuff that that are going on and can't really be bothered to manage day to day operations of you know an asset class like like multifamily because you know obviously as you guys know full time you know it's a full time business and. Uh, and so I guess up until 2022 uh, and until today, but mainly up until 2022, we worked with, you know, credit investors would partner on our buildings. We'd kind of buy, you know, buy a building, you know, raise money, buy a building, raise money. And uh, and it worked, worked for a bunch of years. And I think, you know, our aspirations uh, started to grow a little bit in terms of scale. I wanted to scale a portfolio, wanted to kind of streamline capital raising, wanted to access you know, a larger pool of investors, not just accredited investors. And so it led us, led us down a path to start kind of figuring out or discussing and weighing, I guess, the pros and cons of starting a, a mutual fund trust and a fund. And, and so that's where we are today. So we've launched a, a fund and uh, we're continuing. So same, we're buying the same type of real estate. The model's the same, you know, value add, uh, underperforming ass, buying underperforming assets, repositioning them. You know, growing growing the value so that you know our investors benefit. So the model's the same. Our uh, our capital raising efforts uh, are have changed a little bit. So what's the what do you think is the biggest difference and the biggest benefit of of the way you were doing it and the way and the new uh, the new fund? Um. I think so. The, the the big reason was scale, right? Uh, you know, a big part of it is is scaling. Um, you know, going beyond where we were, and we felt that you know, capital is a big part of scaling. You know, I think Mike, you know, Mike can speak to this in terms of deal flow. That wasn't an issue for us because Mike has good connections in the industry. Capital, you know, um, we started to you know, want to go beyond accredited investors and started to tap into registered funds. You know, TFSAs, RSPs, because it's a big chunk of money you know, that people have that, you know, aren't performing. So we figured that we could, you know, need to access that somehow. And so the ability to access capital, I think is really the, the big, the big benefit. 
Um, you know, on the other side, there's more compliance stuff you got to deal with, right? So there's more administrative work. There's more, you know, back office stuff you have to deal with, right? Reporting, right? So, you know, while yes, it, it, it opens up the, you know, the gates for more capital, you know, with that, because, you know, you know, we're dealing with the securities commissions and exempt market dealers and, um, you know, reporting, there's, there's also more work on the administrative side to kind of make that happen as well. And would you say it's a completely different partner who comes in uh, on this kind of investment as opposed to before where maybe they were a little bit more involved? I'm not sure, but maybe a little bit more involved with the building itself. And now it's more, you know, uh, just based on a return, really, is it not? I would say that. Um, so, the yeah, the persona of the investor is slightly different. Uh, not on not on the kind of pacificity scale like they're so they're still just as passive fund not fund um they I, I think you know accredited investors they they are a little more sophisticated kind of by definition and they are right so they're more sophisticated um, they have higher levels of income um, they tend to spread out their capital into different areas they're 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 they have, I'd say more knowledge of investing and kind of just kind of what it means risk risk tolerance is slightly different whereas you know let's call it this new market of investors we call it the retail market of investors they're coming in with a little bit less our minimums are lower um and so let's you know they're 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 not used to investments like this so there's a little bit of education kind of required and so you know a lot of our marketing is about education and what it means to invest in real estate um, there, uh, it, it, so it's a different profile in terms of the level of, you know, passiveness. It's probably the same in terms of, you know, wanting to be involved in real estate. They don't really want to be involved in the day-to-day -day tenant management, all that kind of stuff. And I just wanted to add something to that. It's a little bit of a different product, right? People who have money, uh, in their RRSPs, mm -hmm. maybe in a mutual fund yeah. that their bank has suggested, they don't know where their capital is really being invested. And that's kind of who we're competing with. It's like you can take your money out of a mutual fund you have with TD or CIBC and now self-direct it into our fund and kind of understand that, hey, it's in multifamily. It's still my RSPs or my TFSAs or whatnot. So it's different in, in that aspect where we're more competing, I would say, with, with people who have money in mutual funds. Yeah. Yeah. What does it end up in? What is the what is the uh, actual product there? The 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 style of investing that you guys are, are using the, those funds to invest into is it is it one building? Is it ten buildings? Is it uh, you know any variation of that? Uh, yeah. So so it's yeah. Great question. So I mean, uh, it, it's a it's a portfolio. So it's a portfolio building. So I think kind of you know comparing and contrasting what we did before versus what we're doing now. You know, if an investor invested with us before, it'd be one building, right? Which just has, again, its pros and cons as well. Now, um, so, you know, we can argue that it's a little more, um, mitigates the risk a little bit more. Your your money is not, you know, in one location. It's spread across a portfolio of buildings. So there's risk mitigation there. There's diversification of portfolio. So that's, yeah, that's exactly it. So the purpose of the fund really is so that you're, um you're getting exposed to multiple assets, multiple markets. And because of that diversification, you're essentially mitigating a little bit of that risk. Okay. Yeah, and, and and just, 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 to, just to add to that, like our fund is a $50 million raise. So we plan on raising 50 million 
and then going off and acquiring assets with that, not keeping in mind that as buildings come up for, you know, refi or whatnot, that additional equity would then go out to acquire even more. So in terms of one building or multiple buildings, you know, as, as we raise capital, we're going to just keep, you know, going out and acquiring till we hit that $50 million mark. Does that mean, does that mean 50 million deployed or 50 million in uh, asset value? So no, like 50 million deployed, like $50 million deployed. raised. So there could be, it could be 150, hundred 200 million in that range. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, uh, Oh, there's so many questions to ask on this stuff, guys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how, uh, uh, maybe we should, maybe we should uh, go back to the, a little bit foundational before we keep going in on these, but like, I, I want to understand what the, you, you've kind of alluded to it, but what is like, there's different types of funds that people can start, right? So there's, there's, this is a, uh, not just, not just the exact same as a more traditional who we've had, you know, folks on here talk about a, GPLP structure would be the language I think we've used mm -hmm. and, and other forms of like syndicates. What does, what, what makes this one unique or different compared to the other variations out there? I, I think, um, I think the, the big differentiator is the ability to, uh, the ability of, of investors to invest registered funds, right? That, that's a, that's a big part of kind of why we did it. Um, Listen, my, my personal mutual funds in RSPs that I kind of put with an advisor, you know, a few years ago, got cut in half last year, right? Real estate, yeah, sure, real estate stabilized, but didn't get cut in half, right? So, and 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 I think Mike alluded to it too, and we're learning more about this as we go along. A lot of times people put money in RSPs and they just kind of forget about it, have no idea, which is surprising, have no idea how it's performing. So the, the, big, the big difference is that we can access registered funds, TFSAs, RSPs, RESPs, and just gives people another option. And the, the interesting thing, um, as we've embarked kind of in this new space, is that there is little knowledge uh, about the fact that you can put registered funds into real estate, right? There's kind of this, there's just kind of mystique around it, right? You know, I think the four of us have been in the industry for long enough that it's, you know, it's kind of common knowledge, Right. But for most people, that's it's it's a new thing. Right. It's a new thing to do that. So that that's the I'd say the probably one of the biggest differences, Mike, anything else that I mean, there's other differences. That's probably the biggest one um, compared to like an LPGP or you. I know you asked the question, but in terms of like other funds as well. I mean, I'll, I'll get into both, actually, like from a fund standpoint, depending on uh, what fund or whatnot. Some of them are really big. People don't like it because they don't know where their money, they know what's going into multifamily. We're more of a value. Well, we just started this year. So we're more of a, like a value add boutique fund. So if people want to touch, feel and see assets, we do offer that. We can mm -hmm. schedule something where they can walk through, kind of see what we're doing, uh, have conversations. They can pick up the phone and talk to, talk to us direct. So from, from a standpoint of dealing with, with other REITs, that's where you know, our value prop comes in. I think from the LPGP side, in most cases, um, just the low entry to barrier. I don't think um, people in LPGPs are taking in, you know, ten thousand dollars, yeah. right? And you know, they, they're having to stick to accredited investors. So, for example, what happens to that executive that's been making one hundred seventy-five thousand dollars a year, who now doesn't have access to, you know, an LPGP? They're just not accredited, right? They you know, legally can't take their capital. They're having to come kind of through 
through the fund side of things, the mutual fund trust to now be able and be that eligible investor, right? Because that, that's in reality, in reality of it, and we have these conversations all the time. It's kind of almost, I don't want to say sickening, but you need to be accredited to have access to these very stabilized assets that do well year over year, right? Mm-hmm. If you're not making a certain amount, you just can't go off and invest, right? So having, you know, an actual fund allows, you know, the average everyday person to go in, go through suitability, see if it's right for them and, you know, have a regulated investment that's been, you know, performing year over year, essentially. And um, so maybe we should distinguish this for our listeners too. If, uh, you know, to be an accredited, so you don't need to be accredited to invest in this, correct? You do not, no. And so a lot of funds you do and, 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 and accredited being, there's a few ways to be accredited, right? You either have to have a certain amount of net worth outside of your personal residence, which I believe is, is it a million or is it more than that? I, I think net know? worth is 5 million Five, liquid yeah. assets, like liquid cash of at least a million uh, income, two mm-hmm. years of 200,000 or more or family income of 300,000 or more. Right. So if you don't qualify for any of those points, this is a great option, even to our listeners that are out there that have a bunch of registered funds, which I know there's probably plenty of those. Um, they can access a fund like this, be invested in cool projects that you guys are doing uh, mm-hmm. and not necessarily have to go through whatever, waiting 10, 20 years before they're accredited or, or whatnot to, to invest in yeah. things like this. And be yeah. passive and, and potentially learn even on the way, being the fact that you're a little more boutique. You, I, I imagine there's, like you said, a little bit of opportunities here and there to go <laughs> to go the site or... Yeah, absolutely. I imagine there's some learning, good learning opportunities there for some people. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, guys, I thought cool. I hit mute. <laughs> I apologize. I hit the button. It didn't work. Um, I, I had a question for you. What What are your expectations for this uh, $50 million? You must have some kind of a roadmap of what it's going to look like as far as an investment or as far as investments go, at least some kind of idea of what that's going to what that's going to look like when fully invested. You want to take this, Mark? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, it'll it'll get us. Uh, and I think Sandy alluded to it a little bit as well. Uh, you know, 130 million in assets or so, 130, 140 million. I mean, depending on what, kind of what's going on in the market at the time. Um, and so, and that's the other thing. Kind of going back to you know our objective is scale. You know, to operate a portfolio. You know, the efficiencies really start to kind of bear fruit and really start to. Um, you know, uh, make a lot of sense kind of as you get closer to the $100 million mark um, from an operation standpoint and such. And so the 50 million should get us to kind of pass that and kind of into the 130 million in terms of assets. Okay. And that's going to be all in Southern Ontario. I mean, at this point, right. So we've, so, so the fund can invest in other markets in Canada, um, we have, you know, we're here right now. So in Southern Ontario right now, that's kind of where most of our, where, it's where our buildings are, it's where our systems are, it's where our team is. We've looked at other markets. Uh, from an ROI standpoint, you know, the Ontario market is is super strong. And I think we're, we're both bearish on, uh, sorry, bullish on the Ontario market, given what's happening uh, just economically. So supply, supply and demand, you don't see the supply and demand discrepancies here in Ontario that you do another pro- BC is probably another similar one, but you know, look at Alberta and, and Eastern provinces. 
you know, good markets, um, but you just don't have the demand uh, and low supply dynamics that you have here. Um, and with immigration and everything else that happens and just investment from the Fed and provincial governments, like I think we're kind of at, you know, you know as, as one lender kind of told us, you know, you guys are at center ice where all the activity is happening. And that's important, especially when, you know, the economy fluctuates, right? Whether it's in a recession as, as we are now, we're about to go into, I think we're pretty confident that kind of where we're, we're headed um, or when it's boom time, you know, good, strong markets like Ontario perform well, and especially in multifamily. So, um, yeah, I mean, you, we, we are studying other markets outside of Ontario, but the, the core will still be in Ontario. You know, I, I was uh, reading some stuff last couple of weeks around this topic because I, I feel like a lot of people are anti, I mean, anti-Canada in some ways for a lot of people and anti-Ontario, um, I mean, from an investing standpoint, yeah. right? There's a lot of people going yeah. to the, the buzzworthy places. Um, yeah. I don't know if Costa Rica is necessarily that raw, but that definitely was on the list for a bit. Um, I was going to say Ontario is kind of a buzzworthy investment uh, hub. I it has say, been, you know, yeah, but it's got the LTB, right? So there's always the yeah. that's always the <laughs> the thing hanging over over the investing in Ontario is how the hell do we get rid of tenants when we want them out, and that's a can be a yeah. pain point. Yeah, we got to put our heads together, but I think ultimately, you know, there are ways to get things like that done. You guys would know more about that, but there's definitely, uh, you know, there's definitely ways to get things done. It's very pro tenant. Yeah. But there's also there's also um, you know when you go to these other places like I, I think of Calgary right now being quite of a buzzworthy sort of place that a lot of yeah. people are putting their dollars into um, in Canada. But you go to you know Florida, Tennessee, Texas, um, wherever else in the U.S. that you hear about being a really Florida for sure being a very hot spot. Yeah, I think uh, you know I, I think you kind of allude to that, but I I, I see it this way too. And we had. Um, Andrew Brennan on not too long ago, Rob, we were talking about the actual opportunities in Ontario and how, you know, the fact that it's got the LTV, it actually, I mean, it, it creates opportunity to raise rents quite a bit if you're able to yeah. work a deal to, 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 um, to replace the tenants. And so there, those opportunities don't necessarily exist in the same way in other provinces because they don't have yeah. that same challenge or opportunity, but it's also, you know, these major markets, like I never hear people talking about in the U.S., let's say, like a Chicago or a San Francisco. San Francisco is, is getting crushed. I mean, these are ma major, major markets for decades and decades. Yeah. I'd be really, really shocked if that market's not coming back soon. And yeah. like, you know, yeah. Toronto and surrounding is not necessarily at San Fran levels, but it's gotten hit a little bit. It's a little bit, I would say, slightly under the radar for the moment. Um, while other people are scattered doing other things, but it's the it's the New York of Canada, right? I mean, it's where the hub of everything is and surrounding it. I can't ever foresee it not being a great place to be invested in. You know, I don't claim to be a genius, obviously, uh, when it comes to do with any of this immigration stuff. But I mean, if you if you look at the the housing crisis that we're in, I mean, it's a pretty predictable predicament that we've found ourselves in. I think as far as a housing crisis goes. And um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on like the, the market now because of that. And maybe the, the, um, the uh, like the unlocking of some green belt land and that kind of stuff for development. Mark, you want to go first or you want me to take this? No, go ahead. So uh, I think right now with the housing crisis, I think, it's not going to get much better uh, unless the government comes up with a bunch of incentives 
for developers. So I've spoken to uh, a bunch of developers and projects are put on hold. Just the, the cost to build things, the red tape around it, um, and then the values right now with, with interest rates where they're at, it just doesn't really make sense, right? I've spoken to investors on the other side of things who used to invest a lot of capital and, and you know, smaller family offices, capital into these development projects with some of the larger, you know, developers and, and Tridel and whatnot. But even the length of these projects, like to actually purchase something, uh, get it, you know, to the breaking ground, like your 10 year plus projects and uh, timelines in a lot of these projects, right? So investor capital now, at least from conversations we've been having, wants the option for some shorter term, like it could be 10 years, they could pull out. So with the amount of immigration happening and the pressure for developers to build with no profit, like if they don't open these green belt areas, like I don't know what's going to happen, right? And a lot of these developers, in most cases, they have capital, they can sit, they can wait. They're, you know, wealthier individuals. They're not going to build something for, for no profit. Um, yeah. I do think and right I'm now sure too, the incentives are coming. I mean, government loves to, well, that would yeah, be one thing that's actually I'm sure, good I'm, as the stimulus, but the government does love to, to spend up that money. So I'm, I'm sure they're coming. I just, this has been an issue from, you know, as far as I can remember and goes way, way back. Mm -hmm. um, is it going to solve the issue? I mean, even with, with the new bill that passed and garden suites and all this stuff, I'm sure it alleviates some pressure, just not as not enough. And I don't know how, how well endowed you guys are with the residential side as well. Um, but a lot of conversations I've been having with, with agents in the office is that they're looking at homeowners who are saying, hey, we need to sell. We have some uh, you know, mortgage renewals coming up. We're paying in the mid 2% range. We can't afford to pay six mm -hmm. and a half. Mm -hmm. So they're selling, looking to potentially go off and rent with a big chunk of money. So from the multifamily side, what I see is I see way more demand on the rental, causing rental rates to increase. I see high interest rates. But when those interest rates start to decline and with this high rental rate, I think there's going to be a significant jump in value. Right. Because now the, the cash flow you're going to get, like we're looking at things now paying even from CMHC perspective, high fours. Um, and things aren't making sense. Even for a stabilized product, you're buying it at a 4% cap rate, four and a bit, and you're paying four and a bit interest rate. It doesn't really make sense, right? But as these rental rates start to trend up, which we've already seen over the last you know, six months or so, but I think that's gonna increase, uh, and the rates start to trend down, I think that's where you're gonna start to see like a big, big gap in values increasing and, and cap rates start to compress again the question is timing timing of it right that's been a question like a lot of people and investors larger investors you know billions of dollars of assets under management um what i've been hearing anyways in the conversations i've been having is a lot of the guys predicted rates to go up this high they didn't predict them to stay this high for this long right a lot of people thought a cut was coming you know the end of this year now you're looking you know q1 q2 potentially 
And maybe even if they misread it by 50 basis points, you can be midway into, into, you know, 2024 with rates still relatively high in the mid, you know, uh, at least uh, uh, from a CMHC perspective, still in the, you know, mid 4% range. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I so remember it's going to get tricky. Like, well, mm-hmm. when, when they, when they started to go up, <clears throat> I had a lot of my mortgages on uh, variable rate mortgages, right? <clears throat> and then I started to see them going up. So I was like, at a certain point, I was thinking, okay, it's time to lock in. And like, that was probably almost two years ago now. Yeah. Um, and at the time, just feeling sick, you know, just feeling <laughs> sick to lock in at those rates. But then I did like, for, for the majority of them, I did like a three year, because that was the minimum thinking okay in three years this is gonna look great right everything's gonna be stable again it'll be back down now you know not too sure it's only like a year away and and it's probably still gonna be higher than it than it was when we locked in but i don't know i don't know we we will see i'm hoping that this is sort of the beginning of a of a little bit stabler market yeah yeah i've been hearing conversations about just normalizing inflation closer to three percent Right, because right now they're talking about two, two, two. Everyone's saying we're never going to get back to two. Why not start looking at two point eight, two point nine as a norm going forward? Well, why not just have a range? You know, a range that you know you we need to stay between. It's a little bit arbitrary. That's it. Yeah, it's a little arbitrary. Like, like to stay on two. Like, yeah, maybe there's other stuff I don't know, but I mean, you know, three is not a. So some economists will argue that we're probably there at two, like depends on how you measure it, right? Like right. if you take out housing costs and the effect of interest rates, which, you know, which was perpetuated by the Bank of Canada in the first place, we're kind of at two, right? So if you back out, you know, um, mortgages and housing and such, we're pretty much there. Now, um, you know, with with job growth starting to slow and GDP slowing, I think all the indicators are finally moving in the direction that the bank of Canada wants, you know, we'll see if it stays right. That's, that's the thing. I mean, there's another announcement in October, right? I believe. So who knows? I mean, as long as, as long as those indicators continue moving in the direction that they are now, which is, which is down um, and and unemployment up, right? Like unemployment, I think is starting to inch up. Uh, Mm -hmm. Job growth is slowing. So I don't know. We'll see. And, and, And that's the thing I worry about with them holding is people jump back in and say, Hey, it's only six months. Then they're going to cut. You know, I have a little <laughs> bit of reserves. Let's go out and start spending them now. Yeah. Let's buy this. And you For see sure. it in the housing market and it's like, yeah, let's take this trip. Let's buy this. And then what's going to happen is inflation might creep up again. Yeah. If it creeps mm-hmm. again, then what happens, right? They're it's always increase a question. Cause Sandy and I what's get that? that all the time. It's like, yeah. should I buy now or should I wait to see what happens? And that doesn't matter when they ask it. It's it's always, you know, they always come to us and say, should I, should mm-hmm. I invest now or should I wait to see what happens? I'm like, how long are you going to wait? What exactly are you trying to see though? Yeah. You know, so there's always that. But I think, I think, you know, everyone has their level of comfort. I still think that there's deals to be found out there now, even with the sure. climate as it is. Yeah. So as long as people are careful, you know, I think that there's always good opportunities out there for people. Here's the thing too, right? Like I got asked this question. We do some coaching, right? Helping people kind of get into their first building and under, you know, underwrite and stuff like that, right? 
so one of the questions I think I got last week was, you know, is this a good time to invest, right? I mean, you guys get it too, I'm sure. And even I think Rob, you started off by saying that one of your clients said, okay, I think I'm ready now because they've held, right? I think the beauty about buying right now is that there's more certainty as to where the interest rate is going to be than there was 12 months ago. We're buying in a high environment. Is it going to get higher? Maybe. Maybe it'll go another quarter point, half point the most, if even that, which I think will crush the economy. But the point is, is that there's less uncertainty as to where the rates will be in 12, 24 months. If anything, it'll get better. Whereas, you know, a while back, you know, we still didn't know. But I think, you know, if all the economists and even the Bank of Canada, I think, are now saying that, you know, we're, we're you know, we're going to we're going to hold. Let's wait and see. Let's see things out. Um, there's less there's less, I think, uncertainty risk in terms of buying. As long as you do your math right and you bake in the high rate right now, maybe it's mm -hmm. for another year and a half or two um, and you have to lock something in for a two or three year term. There's way more certainty now than there ever was, at least in the last 18 months. <clears throat> That's a good point. <clears throat> uh, if you're buying something today and it's a multifamily property and you're, you're, the odds are your tenants might, if there's tenants there, they're probably paying under market or they're paying under market for today, most likely. I mean, that's almost yeah. always the case. <clears throat> and the opportunity in that that I see, because I just look at a, in our, um, one mm -hmm. of our properties, we are looking at uh, the stats around a one bedroom. This is in Hamilton um, today versus because we had a tenant leaving. Um, the one bedroom average in the area that we were looking at in the neighborhood was uh, 1700. It was 1300, uh, 1350, uh, 1300, 1350 in that range a year, just over a year ago. So we're like 20 plus percent increase um, in that neighborhood in yeah. one bedrooms. And that's for a lot of investors that hasn't been realized yet because they haven't been able to get the yeah. turnover, right? But as yeah. soon as you get that turnover, that makes up for quite a big chunk of that interest rate uh, increase. Yeah. pretty quickly, especially with multiple units, right? So I think that's um, something that people will start to realize potentially if, I mean, that's an opportunity there for a lot of these buildings, if we can acquire them at a reasonable rate now and know that in the coming years, you're going to be able to um, uh, optimize them in the, from an income standpoint, at least. Yeah. But I, even from like a net worth perspective and actual value, your cap rate will drop because there's more back-end value. So when someone's looking at it or an appraiser's looking at it, they're saying, okay, average rents are 1700. You're only at 13 or 1350. There's still a little bit of room there across the building and your cap rate will be, will be lower because someone coming in buying it now isn't buying something fully stabilized. Mm -hmm. Right. You're just, if you plan on keeping this for, for a long time, I mean, you're really not seeing it. It's just a, it's just a paper value. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, so can I, can I ask you guys, what are some of the, like, what are some of the dynamics that you would look at to qualify a building uh, into the portfolio? Yeah. So there's, there's a few things that I look at that, that I kind of take a personal approach to. So one of the things now, and we've been dealing with, with clients that are looking to purchase and they're looking for, um, so first of all, one of the first things I do is I look at my exit, right? So who five years, if it's a five-year, a 10-year, 15-year plan, and all the way through, who's going to be buying this building, right? And then the, the personal approach I take to it, because turnover in Ontario is always a big factor, right? So as, as Sandy said, you know, 
a year and a half ago, a year ago, average rents were 13, 13, 15. Now they're 1700 ish. Everybody, all the, the clients that I'm working with now are looking for these depreciated buildings where the rent is $850, $900 average. But that current unit now, this is the thing that people don't factor in. That current unit now, as is, is maybe renting for $1,350 or $1,400. So if you're deploying the cash for keys strategy and you're offering ten grand, fifteen grand, the tenants are saying, okay, this is going to last me a year or two, and then what? I have, I have no more money. I'm screwed. I'm on a fixed income. A lot of tenants in Hamilton, they're on fixed incomes and they're starting to realize this, right? So what I'm seeing now in my perspective from a sweet spot that I like are average rents around the $1,200, $1,300 mark. And maybe it's for two bedrooms, but what I'm seeing is say, you're, say your after rental rent is $1,700 for ones, $2,000, $2,100 for twos. That as is. So I'm looking at it saying, hey, I can get an $800 left. I renovate these units, I can get an $800 left. But that tenant paying $1,300 can go and find an equivalent unit, not renovated, for $1,400 or $1,450. So it's only $250 more. So now for me to offer twenty grand, they are saying, oh, this is five, six, seven years down the road. I don't know where I'm going to be in that time, right? So it's more enticing. The turnover ratio that that we look at tends to increase so when you're looking at a building that has back to 900 average rents and uh you're looking at turning over the building are you projecting a 30 percent turnover ratio in a, in a say a two-year period a 40 a 50 a 60 and then if you look at something with a little bit less lift but go from a 30 percent to a 50 percent turnover where are you actually making more money right uh Turnover is always an issue in Ontario. And the biggest thing that we found works is actually creating a relationship, a personal relationship with the tenants and creating a win-win, right? And when you have these conversations, you start to realize there's a good chunk of tenants who've been looking to move, thinking about moving, right? They just haven't gotten around to do it. Their kids don't want them in the building anymore. It's not safe. Things, things happen. But as soon as you create that little bit of... Um, uh, characteristic that you're trying to do it to like pad your pocket or you just want to rent rent of the term rent eviction you want to do that we find a lot of the tenants get closed off hmm. right they don't want to move even if they want to move they want to say screw you we're never leaving right and i think the, so, the, rea the reality is too right like across the board uh, across you know the country but mainly in you know ontario and bc and such turnover has slowed and so, you know, gone are the days where you can or you should be uh, underwriting 75% unit turns in 12 months, right? Or 18 months, right? Which, which makes your spreadsheet look really good. Um, your ROI is through the roof. But in reality, it's, it's very difficult to execute on something like that. So, you know, we've, we've, our, our underwriting has changed right in this market. And to, like Mike said, right, like the gaps that we're looking for. So I think going back to Rob's question, like, what are we buying? Still value add, you know, 60 to 90% lift in, in rents potential. Right. But we're not, we're not, you know, underwriting with significant unit turns in a very short amount of time. Um, if we get it cool bonus, it's like cherry on top, but it's really hard to buy 
well, you can buy with like that, but to execute on that strategy, it's tough. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really hard to come to fruition. And so yeah, I guess you can always be ambitious with those goals. And if you get to them, then that's great. That's like you yeah. said, extra, yeah. extra icing on the cake. Yeah. I just want to add one thing to that. The reality right now of buying too is it does take a lot more capital to buy something you could have bought 12 months ago, 18 months ago, you can yeah. get in it for a lot less capital. Your carrying costs, especially if you're buying value added and you're using bridge financing, your carrying costs are, you're bleeding to death big time, right? So now that the time frame of turning these units over is very important because if you're projecting a 12% time frame to turn 50% of the units over, if you don't, what happens? You bleed to death. You just mm-hmm. can't afford to do that, right? So it's a lot harder to purchase. You need a lot more capital. But I also think back to your question, uh, uh, the original question of, you know, is now a good time to buy? I think so. I think it's a really good time to buy because as mentioned, with these rental rates pushing up and cap r- and interest rates starting to uh, come down, caps will also start to come down. So you're going to see that big uh, lift in value. It's just, is it coming in 12 months? Is it coming in 24 months, 36 months? And can you afford to purchase it with a lot more money down and carry these things that much longer? Right. So if you can't, you can run into some trouble. If you can, I think there's a lot of opportunity. And I think even just going back to the fundamentals of multifamily and the asset class, it's meant for long term, right? It's it's much of a it's it's less of a speculative investment, at least kind of what we offer our investors. It is long term, right? You know, that's you know, we, we put these things in five-year mortgages. Typically there's you know, six or seven year kind of projects per building. Um, and so you kind of, you know, you, you flatten out some of that variability, you get a bunch of principal pay down, you have tenants paying, you know, rent, um, over the course of that time, right. We're not trying to time the market, right. Such as other strategies, like maybe development or even flips and such like you know, stuff like that. It's, you know, you let real, the real estate market do its thing. Um, and again, rental, we, we talked about supply and demand, you know, in Ontario for sure. And in, in most markets across Ontario or across Canada, the supply issue is, is long from being solved. Like, look in Ontario, like uh, CMHC put out a report, I think it was June, 2022 saying that in order to um, get a, a demand supply balance where the market is somewhat balanced, you know, by 2030, you know, in, in Canada, they need to develop 3.5 million households in Ontario. It's like 1.9 million. We're not even close. Um, I think six months after that report, they came out with an update said, yeah, we're not going to hit that. Right. So, um, and now with the slowdown in development, like we're definitely not going to hit that by 2030, like we're way, way off that. So, um, and again, that, that supply imbalance, you know, is a driver of rental demand. So kind of, Back to economics 101, I think we're, we're, we're in a good place. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, we're providing rental housing, which is what this country needs. Those are really, really val- valuable insights. Uh, you know, I, in particular, the, I was thinking about, um, you know, running your numbers around the, the great deal. That's, you know, the rents are so under market. It's such a great opportunity versus the, you know, they're under market, but they're not like, you know, 30% of what the market should be. They're like, you know, 70, 80% or so. And it's because I've had those challenges for sure. Um, and, uh, and, and seen that firsthand. So that's a, that's a really, really great point um, for people that are investing multifamily. 
what have been your if you were to have like two maybe one each or two each like most valuable lessons learned in this multifamily space over the years what, what stands out to you guys as the most most valuable lessons uh they've taken away in what 10 plus years of doing this stuff Mark, you, you, you want to start? Sure, I'll, I'll do one and you can do one and we can kind of go back and forth if we need to do more. I think, um, especially right now, uh, patience, right? Like this is a game of patience. Um, and more and more, I think you start to realize that, yes, you want to turn, you know, you want to generate, you know, profits quickly and you want to refinance capital out. Things take longer than you may expect. Um, so having patience not, you know, and patience also includes not swaying too far off of, you know, your plan. If your plan was, you know, well thought out in the first place. Um, uh, and I think that's kind of an, you know, probably an insight for most businesses is that patience matters, right. Kind of being it in, being in it for the long, the long game, the long term. Um, uh, that's a big, you know, it's not, not my first business, but I think in, in both of the businesses that I've been involved in patience really is a, is a, an important discipline to have. I'll, I'll talk in regards to the acquisition side because that's mainly where I focus. And a lot of people struggle to find relation, uh, apartment buildings. And I think one of the main things that really worked in my favor is just strong relationship building. And I've been able to do that just through being transparent. Here's where we're at. Here's what I know. Here's who I'm working with. We're X amount of time out from buying. This is what we like. So really narrowing down on what you're looking to do, being transparent with, you know, people in the industry and just kind of be having that genuine kind of um, approach to say, here's, here's what I want my life to look at and really build relationships. Because whenever you're in a struggle or you put something out there, say, Hey, I'm looking to buy in six months or whatnot, I'll always have people call me to say, Hey, Mike, where are you at? Just checking in. We have some stuff in the pipeline. And, and that's allowed us to have a really good flow of, uh, of deals coming to coming to us, right? It's just really strong relationship building. And because it's such a small space in the multifamily, and I know in residential, you'll have agents and, and people put like 10 offers out knowing they're going to buy one, try to get the deal. If you do that in multifamily, you'll be blacklisted. Like relationships are very important. Uh, these are, you know, very smart, wealthy individuals. That's why they're owning apartment buildings. So if they get a sour taste in your mouth that you're dicking around, you're probably not going to see too many deals. And a lot of people don't learn that, hey, it's different than the residential side. These aren't just homeowners. These are, you know, reputable people in the business. And, you know, they get burned and blacklisted pretty quickly. <clears throat> yeah, those are good ones. Well, I, when I think about like some of the biggest kind of mistakes I've made over the years, I think a lot of it, the root of it is, um, is uh, not having enough patience. Uh, I think yeah. that's, you know, any, any, anything I look back on almost always comes, comes down to, to that. Yeah. You know, you might, you might mm -hmm. look at the actual technical thing, but if you dial back, yeah, maybe it is, maybe it does come down to that a little bit more than you think. Mm. Well, everyone's trying to, everyone's trying to get, get rich. Even if it's not quick, it's like, Quick-ish, like quickish. You know. Yeah. What's the what's the fast way? And I think it's I think it's not to be confused with not being urgent because urgency matters, right? Mm -hmm. um, but taking urgent action 
in, you know, on a strategy or on kind of what you've, you know, what you're kind of going ahead. So urgency matters, of course, but uh, consistency and patience, I think. And again, guilty of not being patient either, but so, um, but yeah. Yeah. Oftentimes you line everything up and then it's just, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a kind of, you know, you know, there's the shiny, uh, shiny object syndrome, right. Which I think, you know, the four of us probably have cause we're entrepreneurs and that's kind of just, you know, we obviously it, it's worked, you know, for us to some degree, but, um, especially now I think there's a lot of, a lot of shiny objects, right. Um, I guess there always is, but you know, it's always shiny objects and it's kind of just putting the blinders on and moving. And I think I, I just want to add something. I think people got caught up in the burr, burring this and getting my money out and burring that. And because mm -hmm. I was never a part of that, I, I don't know. I, I actually, I don't, I do not consider that investing, right? That's like a job. Like that's not a true, like I'm buying an apartment building. You're working, you're putting some work in, you're taking your equity out. Like I don't see burring and real estate investing as the same thing in my personal opinion. Well, it's like right? flipping. I, I always thought I was, I would say the same about flipping, you know, and uh, in yeah. general and uh, burring yeah. is kind of, you know, a hybrid of that flip model with, with the longer yeah. term. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like our, our lawyer, our real estate lawyer. Actually, I've you know, been working with him since 2015 when I did my first, or 14, 14 or 15, when I did my first flip. He didn't even call, he, he called it speculation. It's like, oh, you're doing a speculation, a speculative project. And that's, that's just the language he uses. And he still uses that today, right? Like, uh, Mike, if, you know, if Elliot gets into it, it's he called it speculation. I never really thought about it until a few years ago. I was like, yeah, that's kind of what it is, right? You just, you're trying to time it. You're trying to time it, trying to get in and out. Mm hmm yeah so cool cool those are good those are good good stuff guys um lots of value in this conversation i think for our listeners and i love the i love the you know usually when we talk about these bigger deals not a lot of our audience uh can necessarily get into these opportunities because they require significant amount of funds um so uh one more time can you guys tell us who is like your who is your ideal person to invest into uh the multi, let me get the name right. Peak Multifamily Trust, right? Peak Multifamily. Yeah, the peak, yeah, Peak Multifamily Trust. It's you know an apartment fund. So I think the idea, the ideal person basically is someone that's looking to diversify their portfolio with re, some with some real estate. Um, they don't you know want to be the kind of the hands-on landlord. Don't want to learn it. They they have their own lives, they have busy lives, but they want some diversification in their portfolio. Um, and, uh, or, you know, or sometimes people want to get into real estate at some point, this is kind of a, you know, a way in kind of a foot in the door, you know, for $10,000, a minimum of 10,000, you can diversify uh, into real estate and specifically apartment buildings, which is, which is, I would argue probably one of the more stable asset classes in real estate. Yeah. And then how would they learn more? How do they get in touch? Yeah, they can, they can go to our website, peakmultifamily.ca. Uh, there's a bunch of information there. You know, we write, you know, blogs regularly just about the market. You know, there's an investor package if they want more uh, information, just kind of enter their, their info and they'll get sent the investor package right away. And, uh, and if it's, in, you know, of, of interest, then, you know, Mike or I um, or one of our dealer representatives can, can have a chat and answer questions. Peakmultifamily.ca. Okay, good one. Yeah. And of course, that's in the show notes. Everybody you can get the information there. The links will all be there. Any other uh, ways to get in contact with these guys is going to be in there too. I want to thank you for coming out and sharing all this today. Appreciate you taking the time to come and talk to us. 
Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, guys. Thanks for having me. Great. Thank you guys. Yeah. Appreciate it. Actually, I think, I don't know if I mentioned this last time, but like your podcast was the first, like was the first podcast as I was driving in and out of Toronto, one and a half hours there, one and a half hours back. That's kind of steady breakthrough, breakthrough podcast. So, I mean, this was probably 2014, 15. Have you guys been doing the, the show that long? Yeah. Yeah. 14. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you. Um, Sandy, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, all over social media is it's Sandy McKay at it's Sandy McKay or Sandy at McKayRealsNetwork.com. Awesome. People can reach me at Rob at MrBreakthrough.ca. Thanks again, everybody, for listening, and we will see you next time. Thank you.